0: Hello, friends, and welcome to the What Do You Know podcast. We are in episode 25, and friends, I just want to encourage you to continue to ask the question, what do you know to the people around you? Because the last thing that I want us to do is to get into the habit of saying we know it all. Friends, as a quick reminder, this podcast has been approved by the Upstate District Church of the Nazarene for lifelong learning. And so, friends, if you're in another district, I would encourage you to ask your district if this can be approved for lifelong learning as well. Friends, I hope you're blessed by today's conversation. Now let's jump in. Hello, friends, and welcome to the What Do You Know podcast. Friends, we are joined by another ministry leader, somebody who has poured their life into ministering to others and represent Christ to them as well. So friends, will you join me in welcoming Pastor Mike Lyle? Welcome, my friend.
1: Hey, how are you? So no like applause track or something?
0: No, no, no applause with track. That, we're, we're not no. that fancy here on what do you know?
1: Oh, okay. Well <laughs> maybe one day. Next time, next year, I next expect year. an applause track after oh, the introduction. I will get
0: you an applause track and we'll be... all right. All right. <laughs> maybe a theme song. We'll come up with a theme song. Yes.
1: Part, or at least guess. a theme song, right? <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: Oh, my, my friend, it is so good to have you here on the podcast. Thank you for agreeing to be a part of this project,
1: friend. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been a good opportunity for me to think through some of the questions that you've asked already. It's been good.
0: So, Pastor Mike, can you give us a rundown of who you are, give us a little bit of a background, and then from there, can you tell us where you're located? And then from there, what does your church look like?
1: Yep. Sure. So I, as you've already said, I'm Mike Lyle. I graduated from Eastern Nazarene College, which I know is where you graduated. Uh, So we have that in common, although I'm quite a bit older than you. And, uh, but I, I graduated with a major in math and a call to ministry. So it was a weird road for me. It was actually happened in traveling for the summer ministry teams at Eastern Nazarene College, where you go through the district camps and uh, lead worship, and help with camps, and I remember being, it was on the Delaware district, Um, I know, can anything good come from Delaware, but that's, (laughs)
0: nothing's there,
1: (laughs) we're careful, man, people might listen to this podcast from Delaware, I have a lot of family from Delaware, Delaware's there, I'm sorry, see, I'm, (laughs) no, but I, I, it was a camp in Delaware. And I remember there, it was one of our obligation, I, I mean, obligation is a wrong word, but one of our opportunities is to pray with people uh, during response times of the service. And at this particular service, I don't even know who's speaking or what happened, but just nothing, nobody, nobody was responding. And uh, so I just went to the altar and started praying. And it was about the time in my life where um, I've got to kind of figure out what I'm going to do. And the plan at the time was to be a math teacher somewhere and uh, maybe help volunteer in the church. And I was praying and I said, God, what do you want me to do? I'll do whatever. I'll offer my life to you. Uh, just like a, a, a normal prayer of a surrender uh, to him that I'm sure you and other people um, have prayed before. Well, I'll do whatever. And I couldn't get ministry out of my head. I couldn't get the church out of my head. And I remember like, repenting almost like I'm so sorry that I'm here trying to ask you what you want me to do and I just am so fixated on the church I'm so sorry and it was like a moment where God said well duh like do you think you think maybe that's it and I was like oh maybe that's it and uh so I called our our chaplain at the time and kind of rehearsed with him what what happened. And after that, it was about a year of prayer and wrestling and conversation uh, before I accepted that I was called to ministry. And uh, during that time, I guess this will answer the the follow-up question of where I'm at and the context I'm in. Uh, During that time, Pastor Stephen Willis, who was a youth pastor, was pursuing me to be his youth pastor when he became a pastor. And (laughs) at the time, I was just like, I don't, I mean, you're okay, Mr. Youth Pastor. You can you can call me to be your youth pastor someday. And I had no thoughts to doing ministry at that time or to this call to ministry. But he continued to pursue me. And after I kind of settled that ministry was what God was asking me to do, I, I ended up calling him back. And like, is that is that still an offer? And at that time, he had within a year started leading a a local church here in Virginia in Lynchburg. And that's when I came down and interviewed and I've been here ever since. So I've stayed in this one local church since I graduated college in 2002. So I've been here for 18 years where I've done multiple ministry tasks for the church. I kind of, I guess my calling has just been for the church. I I want to do whatever the church needs me to do. So I've shifted and changed and done other things. And I, I started at youth and worship, You're the classic youth and worship pastor or youth and there's you can <laughs> hardly ever just have a youth pastor. It's got to be youth and something. So I started there and then I went over to Jess Youth Ministry for a couple of years and then shifted over into worship ministry and now i'm overseeing our worship ministry and our discipleship ministries at our local church here in lynchburg virginia and what it looks like like what our church looks like
0: like what's the makeup of the church what's the breakdown of the people in it and like what's the location look like because lynchburg i'm if i understand correctly has an interesting dynamic in its community
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like all communities, we're all quirky and weird. But I guess the the breakdown of our local church, I think we're, we're a family church. Uh, We have a lot of different generations represented in our church, which is something I love about our church. You can, there can be an infant uh, that is worshiping next to a 91 year old. And I feel like that's not, um, that's pretty rare in the church. And uh, we've worked hard to kind of maintain that culture of a family church and, and saying that every generation is important to us and valid to us. And so we reach out to every generation. So we have a multi-generational, if not multicultural church. And I guess you could argue that there's different cultures within generations, but that's, that's kind of the glimpse of what our church is like. We are nestled in the middle of the Bible Belt in Virginia and right next to in the shadow of Liberty University. Uh, So that with that comes enormous um, blessing and some some challenges and just like any context has blessing and challenges. And so I I guess I can kind of rehearse the, the blessings that we have and say, I mean, my kids, I have four kids and we're growing up in a in a town where just about any time you go into Panera Bread, there's four tables with their bibles open and doing a bible study there's christian concerts that come to liberty all the time you know there's the culture around lynchburg is fairly christian even unchurched people are churched people <laughs> they're are people who grew up in the church because uh, it's a very churched area and that is a blessing that is that is a gift for my family and for me Uh, And it comes with certain challenges. I think because Christianity is the dominant culture, I think um, sometimes it can lead to just a cultural Christianity uh, where, um, and I'm definitely not saying that painting people with a a broad brush here, but like it's, it's really easy to just say you're a Christian because you do this, this, and this or because your grandmother was a part of that church or started that church and your whole family goes to church and has always gone to church. And so Christianity equals engagement with the church. And um, I think that can be good. And it can be challenging to try to say, what if Christianity is following the way of Jesus? And your, your church involvement or your or lack of involvement, it's seen in that context uh, rather than the other way around. And so I feel like that's maybe some of the challenges for, for my own life, for my own kids, my own family, like trying to disciple my kids in a very um, cultural Christianity location and where following Jesus may not at times look like falling in line in church. Most of the time it does, but there's times it doesn't. And that's when that maybe is, is a little challenging.
0: That's interesting. I've never really heard the negative outcomes of living in such a church environment. So my friend, if I could ask you to think back here for a little bit, I want to ask you, what what made you sign up for that summer ministry team?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Well, number one, it was fun. It sounded like a lot of fun. You mean the college is going to give us a van that we drive up and down the East coast and we get to play music and be at camps all summer long. And we get paid to do this. Uh, It it seemed like such a great opportunity. And I did, uh, I think leading, leading worship was something close to my heart in college. Uh, It was something that I, I did a lot and I've always loved music. So I think that opportunity to blend music with something that seemed like a really unique opportunity uh, was just enticing to me. It was a good, and um, I grew up going to camps and, and Nazarene camps and seeing the summer ministry teams and thinking they were just like the best human beings ever. And so you go to those, those camps and you meet those people and it's easy to say, I want to be one of those people. <laughs> it's a large reason why I went to ENC is getting to know some of those people. And it's a, it's a deeply rooted college for my family too. My mom and dad went there and met there. And um, so there, we have roots at the college that really stem back to, if you were asked my mom, like to um, eat the, the traveling ministry teams that reached out and got to know kids. That's awesome.
0: So going from that mentality to saying they're going to give me a van, which NC never let me have the keys to any of the vans. <laughs> <laughs> so going from that mentality, to say I get to play worship to then talking about your call to ministry. Where was that connection? Like how did the spirit work in your life? Maybe through that conversation to say, all right, feel this is a call to ministry. It's not just a great summer, but rather this is going to be my lifestyle. What was the mm. transition there?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I, th- I think it's it happens in prayer and I, I can't really pinpoint when the transition happened other than like my heart for the church. Like I, there's a lot of people I, I've talked to since like to rehearse their call to ministry and it's usually um, something about a concern for lost people or wanting to reach the world, and I think that's excellent. For me, I loved the church. I loved the church. It was um, beautiful it, in all of her glory and ugliness, and the the idea of the people of God as the the city on a hill, you know, the salt and the light. And I just feel like there's nothing like the local church, and it probably has something to do with um, I. My dad was Air Force, so I I grew up military and moving around a lot. And everywhere we went, uh, we found the Nazarene Church. And it became our family away from family. When my dad was stationed in Germany for a couple of years, we went to a Nazarene Church in Germany. And uh, who knew people back in the States? It was just the Nazarene Church is such a connected world. So I think it became part of my story and just a natural step for me to want to give my life to the church that had given so much to me. Uh, I know um, you had mentioned earlier, just like dedicating life to ministry, but I've received way more from the church than I've ever given to the church.
0: That's great to hear how the church has just been there in places where you were kind of right. right where you're at. Right. Now, if you could sit down and write a letter to yourself, uh, your first Ministry self, that person that's walking out of ENC with a math degree that's now got a call to ministry. What would that letter say? Would it have any tips, tricks, uh, do's and don'ts? What would that letter consist of?
1: That's great. Um, that that question has I uh, you sent a list list of questions before it began, so it's not like cold turkey. And that question has been something I've been thinking about a little bit, and I think. Um, I don't know about advice, but so much I didn't really know how to answer a call to ministry. And I feel like some clarity that I've learned now and how to respond to a call to ministry, I think is something I would want to communicate to to a younger me. And um, so the thing that that keeps coming to mind, the call of Moses and the life of Moses and the leader his leadership style, has always been something that, um, that I identified with, something that speaks to me. And so his answer to the, to the call is something that's kind of given clarity as I've grown in my call to work to ministry and how I can respond to my call to ministry. And if you remember, it's Exodus 3 and the burning bush is burning and God speaks the name of Moses from the burning bush. And Moses' response is just, here I am. And there's both a there's an aspect of surrender in that here I am that says I've got to let go and give you my life. It's almost like an offering. Here I am. Uh, but that that's for sure a, a good response to a call to ministry to say, here I am. I mean, it was the same response that um, Isaiah had. And, you know, when God said, who will go for us? And he said, here I am. Send me. Uh, there's a here I am response to a call to ministry. That's natural. But I think I, I maybe understood the, the surrender part of it, that the call to ministry required a surrender. I think that if I break that up a little bit, there's a just that first word, here. Um, here I am. Not somewhere else. Not sometime else. This is where I am. Here is where I am. And my answer to the call to ministry happens only here. There's no other place that I can respond except for here. And um, there's no, like, I think when you graduate college or when you're, um, when you have a lot of options in front of you, not that I had a lot of options in front of me, but you have the illusion of like, there's options in front of me. And you think like um, by choosing something, I'm saying no to all these other options uh, and I think that's, that's something that got in my head where I could have been more satisfied with the here, uh, with here I am. I don't have to go somewhere else to answer the call to ministry. I don't have to, to go to the perfect place or be in a perfect position. Here is where I'm responding. And I think for a younger person in ministry, uh, you can see at other people's contexts and almost want to respond, uh, "There I am," or "There, there I wish I was." But the appropriate response is "Here I am," and uh, I guess the next part of that would be the the I, here I am, not someone else, not a, a different person, a different personality, or a different set of of gifts or limitations or brokenness or mistakes or failures. Um, here. Is where I am. Um, All the history that led me to here, my family, and um, the joy and the peace and the the spiritual journey, all of that encompasses me. I this is what I've got. (laughs) This so it's not only in this context. It's this body. This body is the only body I have to respond to the call to ministry. And then that last one is am. There's the first response is a call to be something, not a call to, to do something. And I feel like I, I felt kind of guilty about that early on in my ministry, where I felt like the important thing was, was producing or doing stuff. And not that that was inside of me because um, to a fa- I'm naturally lazy. <laughs> I don't want to do anything. Um, but my, my first Inclination is to be, and I feel like there's a culture in the um, in the church, and maybe it's just the the context I was in and grew up in, where the being part of ministry wasn't as celebrated as the doing part of ministry, and that might have just been my my perception. But to to elevate the aspect of a calling that is just being first, and so to respond to the call with here I am. Here I am. And um, that's, that's enough. That's enough of a response. It doesn't have to be more than that.
0: Short, but profound. So my friend, with all that being said, all that thing, all that here I am statement in your mind, how do you stay motivated in ministry today? I mean, it's no question that this time of ministry is harder than I would argue almost any other time, because we have to keep almost two or three platforms running of information and have to dialogue with different people in different ways. But with all that being said, how are you staying motivated in ministry? What keeps you going?
1: That's good. Uh, I think it's a good question to come back to also, like uh, over and over again, because it changes as we grow and change. But right now, the thing that I find motivating motivating to ministry is, um, I think, entering into com- conversations like this, um, knowing, um, seeking out like-minded people who are on the journey and entering into the conversation and showing up with one another, uh, engaging in dialogue. Uh, another thing that keeps me motivated is maybe having conversations with people who are who are newly followers of Jesus. And I mean that in a couple of different ways. The first is um, just now choosing to follow Jesus for the first time. Those are always exciting people to be around because everything's new and everything feels awesome and blessed and wonderful. And it's the scriptures like- are alive. What's that?
0: It's almost like Christmas morning.
1: Right, right. Everything's amazing. And that's contagious. And you remember the joy of your salvation. It's wonderful. But also the the context that I'm in, like in the shadow of, of Liberty where people who followed Christ and maybe went through some kind of deconstruction or their framework fell apart. And so they, they are, they are newly following Jesus in a different way and trying to figure out a different way that to follow Jesus when their framework has been pulled out from underneath them. And um, that's just as exciting to me as someone who maybe grew up in the church, uh, but everything they, they knew, They're questioning and everything has fallen apart around them and to come alongside and to, um, to help uh, see them build a new framework to follow Christ. That's, that's just as exciting because everything, again, it's everything's new and everything's beautiful because you're seeing everything through a different lens. And that's exciting to watch people do that and to, and to go through it with them.
0: So now onto the flip side of the coin, how do you avoid burnout?
1: That's good. I think um, the ri- the rhythm of rest and work is important to do input and output. Uh, it's like the rhythm of life is like breathing. There's an in and an out. And um, I think to ignore that natural rhythm of life, I think we do that to our own detriment. So to avoid burnout, I think it's like breathing. There's input times where you're just taking in uh, the, the breath of God. And then there's output times when you're doing work and you're, you're doing things. Uh, but both are required, I think, to avoid um, burnout. Uh, and then there's the, the ancient practices, I think, because uh, it's easy to say, well, it's like breathing, and that's kind of abstract. Uh, but we have a lot of guidance that have gone before us, where people have said, this is how you breathe in. Like, this is what you do. You stop and you you read this Psalm and you pray this prayer and you sit in silence for this many minutes and you just breathe in the presence of God. So some of the ancient practices of the faith have been really grounding and a, a good way to avoid burnout.
0: Now, can you give us an example of an ancient pattern that you you just mentioned?
1: Yeah, that's good. I think... The spiritual practice of silence and centering prayer has been something that I've uh, tried to practice for the last five years or so. We actually have in our town, there's a, uh, an old Quaker church, uh, that's an old stone church. And every Wednesday at 11, they have a time period where they just open up their sanctuary. And it's this, you know, wooden beams on the roof and just old stone sanctuary, it's beautiful. Uh, with a pipe organ in the front and a stone floor and um, you the smell of age and rotting wood <laughs> that that kind of old chapel feel. And I think um, the invitation into centering prayer is to enter into that that room. And a uh, centering prayer, one of the practices you just kind of pick a a sacred word or a phrase that you can say with your breathing. and for 30 minutes, you sit in silence, just, Focusing on this word to bring the point isn't the word, the point is the presence of God and the word is supposed to bring your your focus back to the presence of God, who's as, as close as your breath, as close as your breathing. Uh, so centering prayer uh, is something that's been a, a practice that I've tried to practice for the last uh, five years or so. I'm not very good at it, but I'm trying. <laughs>
0: I think I'd have a hard time sitting still for maybe 10 minutes.
1: Right. (laughs) Just knowing
0: myself, the highly caffeinated human Mm -hmm. being that I am. I have a hard time sitting here at my desk for more than 10 minutes.
1: Right. Well, I would say start with 10 minutes. (laughs) Start it. What do you got to lose? That's true. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So
0: my friend, what books are you currently reading that you would recommend to us? It here With us here in the Church of the Nazarene, we're encouraged to have lifelong learning hours if we finished our schooling, because mm-hmm. we don't ever want to get caught up in the mindset that we know it all, hence the name of this
1: podcast. So right. what book right.
0: would you recommend?
1: Well, I actually know it all, so uh, oh, there's not. <laughs>
0: I wish I yeah. knew it
1: all. Yeah. You're going to edit that out, right? Uh, maybe. <laughs> right. Um, actually... I'm reading uh, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership uh, by Ruth Haley Barton right now. Um, excellent author. She also wrote uh, Sacred Rhythms, which is phenomenal. I highly recommend it. I'm reading a little, It's. That's, <laughs> I guess reading is loose. It's a. It's called Every Moment Holy. Um, it's a book of liturgies about how it's written prayers, really, that are written for different moments of the day for morning and evening for midday, uh, for doing laundry, for um, doing the dishes, like different prayers that you can pray to make every moment holy. Uh, And it's not about the prayer. It's just about acknowledging that the presence of God is right there in every single moment. And every single moment is holy. It's just turning towards it and paying attention to it. That
0: would put a different spin on folding laundry right there. Right. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it does. It does. It can be sacred. This is true. So my friend,
0: what is giving you life right now? Something important that I do want to say, friends, it doesn't have to be church related because sometimes we get caught up in the idea that our life should be centered solely around the church and we can't have a life outside of it. Mm -hmm. And that can be damaging. Right.
1: (laughs) Right. Right 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 now. now um I I like I said, I've got four children, and my wife are the biggest sources of life in my life right now. um and, uh, they're amazing, and I don't say that just to like pander to my family. They're just amazing people and my my uh I have two teenagers right now, and it's been really fun to to actively engage in discipling them and seeing their questions and some of the things they're wrestling with. Uh, gives me life to engage with that also to sit down at night and watch a good show (laughs) we've been watching wandavision it's pretty good it's a great show (laughs) right (laughs) right
0: little plug we won't say anymore no spoilers
1: (laughs) no spoilers right it's like a a sitcom meets a mystery very interesting (laughs) yes
0: So my friend, what sort of advice would you give to someone looking to go into ministry or to youth workers today, or maybe to somebody who is trying to find that next? Mm -hmm. What sort of advice would you give?
1: Uh, Don't try to find that next. (laughs) Look here, be where you are. And um, I think I've just been reading through one of the other things I'm reading, I guess, is Luke. i guess the but does the bible count with books that you're reading yeah (laughs) i'm reading through uh through luke and uh one of the things that i just read the other day was about anna who is at the the temple uh waiting and there was something that just jumped out at me i've read it i'm sure you have and everybody listening to this will be like i totally knew that forever ago um but 80 84 years she was widowed day and night praying at the church at the temple for 84 years it it took her 84 years until she saw jesus and and she pray, and it says she prayed with expectancy for 84 years and so i think i think if there's advice i would give anybody entering ministry it's kind of the uh the eugene peterson title a long obedience in the same direction um be willing to wait for it like to to put in the the daily prayer and time to pay attention so you notice when Jesus breaks in when the kingdom is coming and you know how to point it out and uh, you know what it's do what's happening in the, your own context and how to pay attention to it uh, and sometimes that takes way longer than you want it to take uh, I don't I don't know how many times she prayed that she would see her answers to a salvation of Israel, but she was in the temple praying for 84 years, night and day. And that's challenging to me.
0: So with that being said, how is God moving in your ministry today? Mm -hmm. Are there any God sightings that you can say, yes, Mm -hmm. God.
1: Right. Right. That's good. For sure. In the people. Around us, like I, the the staff I'm a part of, um, is amazing. Just super talented, humble, uh, gifted people uh, who are almost like being collected <laughs> around us. And it's not just the staff; it's the the people in our church. Amazing people who are kingdom minded and hardcore followers of Jesus. And I I just see it's almost like the the picture of uh, gathering of of like a mother hen, wrapping her wings around chicks and like bringing them into the fold and saying, man, this, I, it's almost like you can see an army that is so talented and gifted and ready. And uh, so that's maybe the biggest thing is the, the quality of the Jesus followers around me. It's pretty amazing.
0: So my friend, as we kind of wrap up our time here today, how can we be praying for you and your ministry?
1: That's good. I mean, I think like everybody, we're trying to figure out how to minister in the face of um, a pandemic and COVID. And my biggest challenge right now in my context um, is I, I oversee discipleship ministries and all of our like, small groups and life groups and Sunday school classes and, and children's Sunday school classes. They've all taken a big hit where um, you know, we're able to gather on a Sunday morning But some of those smaller room gatherings that don't have the space to socially distant or uh, to be socially distant or to um, where people feel comfortable. uh, That has been enormously challenging to try to figure out how how to provide that kind of discipleship, uh, face to face discipleship, incarnational following Jesus together. Uh, in a in a smaller context has been really challenging to figure out how to lead in that area so i would appreciate prayers for that definitely
0: well let's go to our heavenly father in prayer yeah lord today just we just want to say thank you thank you for your goodness thank you for your grace thank you for the ways you show up in our life uh, lord right now i just want to pray for mike's church i want to pray for his community i want to pray that you would help them think creatively Lord, ministry is taking a different appearance. Ministry is taking a different light. Lord, help them figure out how to minister in this time and in this place and really in the spaces that they are finding themselves. Lord, be with them as they try to answer these questions with your guidance. Lord, be with them every step of the way. Lord, again, we just want to say thank you for being a part of our lives, for walking with us for calling us, really, Lord. And so, Lord, I just want to say thank you today for this conversation. Thank you for his church. Lord, thank you for the ways you've used his life to impact people around him. Lord, thank you for Pastor Mike. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, friends, for joining us on another episode of What Do You Know? Friends, I hope you were blessed by today's conversation, and I hope you continue to ask the question, what do you know, to the people around you? I hope you continue to ask the question Lord how do you want me to serve friends as always I just want to encourage all of you to share this podcast with someone who may get something out of it because I want us to continue to ask the question what do you know to everyone around us because I want us to continue to grow in our knowledge and understanding of what's happening in the world around us I also want us to continue to grow in our knowledge of ministry friends As always, join us next week for another conversation with another ministry leader. Be blessed.